Welcome back to Gold Shields. I'm Dan Murphy, along with my partner in crime, Tom Smith. Every week we bring you the best true crime, straight from the mouths of the detectives and investigators who made the cases. We also bring you special guests like we have today from the world of law enforcement, those who are in it, were in it, and support it, and even those who chronicle it. Today's guest is one that I'm going to let Tom introduce, but we're very excited to have her on. And it's something to do with wellness. And it has been a theme on this show, Tom, if I'm, if I'm wrong, correct me, but we are looking to educate um, not just law enforcement, but the general public about some of the stresses and some of the difficulties faced by those who wear the uniform. And today's guest, I think, is going to do a great job. What do you think, Tom? Oh, we've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, and you're so right, Dan. You know, so many people don't realize the, the mental on top of the physical uh, necessities that uh, police officers need, law enforcement needs, first responders need. And in order to do your job effectively, you need to have all three of those intact to be healthy. And uh, Paige Arnone is a pioneer in this field. Uh, we got together with her through a, a mutual friend, Patty Fitzgibbons, who couldn't say enough about Paige. I think right after their show emailed me and said, you need to get her right now on your show. And I think we, we spoke to her that night. Uh, Paige is an unbelievable, strong woman who is taking on uh, the law enforcement world in the realm of mental health to a new level with yoga. And it's a fascinating story with Paige, with her her childhood and what she had to go through and some pain and suffering and trauma that she went through and fought through to get to where she is today and taking police departments by storm with this great program. Uh, so we are so honored and thankful to have Paige Arnone on Gold Shields today. Hi, Paige. How are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. How are you? Fantastic. We're doing great today. Uh, yeah. Th thanks for giving us your time. Yeah, of course. I'm excited. So it, it starts off with uh, the wellness that you saw that was needed in first responders and law enforcement. You kind of made that connection of what you thought was needed out there and propelled yourself into this world. But before that, you had a pretty rough time growing up. And, and I don't say that lightly, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, you did. And I want to start there because I think that leads into everything that you're about now and the strength that you have now and the attitude you have now with what you're doing with Firstgevity and law enforcement that looks back on, on your childhood. So why don't we start there and, uh, and see how this all started? Yeah. And you know, my childhood and my upbringing was something that I didn't talk about for a really long time. And now I feel like it's it's the one thing that I'm really comfortable talking about because I do think it's something that helps create that relatability um, and kind of gives you an idea of who I am, um, you know, not just what I'm doing right now, but kind of where I came from. So I appreciate you asking and, um, you know, more than happy to share that piece of me and, you know, my, my history. Um, I was born and raised in the Phoenix area. Both of my parents were drug addicts. So their drug of choice was methamphetamines. My dad was gang affiliated. He went to prison when I was five years old for the sale of narcotics. He served a six-year sentence. And so, you know, my relationship with my dad for a long time was, you know, prison letters, prison collect calls and annual prison visits. And, you know, my relationship with him was really interesting because I really created this image in my head of who he was, you know, and I thought that when he got out of prison, he was going to be like the best dad. So I really idolized him for a long time and desperately waited for him to be released from prison. And when he was, he was not the person who I thought he was going to be. So, you know, my image of him shattered pretty quickly. He went straight back to using. Um, he was extremely abusive physically and mentally. And so, um, you know, I experienced a lot of domestic violence. Um, 
you know, he would be up for days at a time, manic, and then he would crash for days at a time. Um, so, you know, experiencing those periods of neglect. Um, my mom, she left when I was really young. So I, I believe I was about eight or nine years old when she decided that she didn't want to be a mom anymore. And so she left me in the care of my stepdad, who was not my legal guardian at the time. They were divorced. Um, and you know, my stepdad raised me as a single dad while my mom left to um, you know, feed her habit of drug use and partying. And um, so, you know, growing up, I I think I really didn't know who I was. And in my head, you know, if my parents didn't love me, who could? And so I struggled a lot with self-worth and confidence and, um, you know, always tried to change myself to be a version I thought they could love. Um, so, you know, if I was prettier or smarter or funnier, then maybe they would stop what they were doing and they would love me. And so, you know, at a young age, that's really, really tough. Cause I think, you know, you, you want, you want your parents to love you and you want to feel, you know, supported and, and loved by them. And, um, I really didn't have any of that. And I, I did have my stepdad who was an amazing person. He's still my best friend to this day. We talk every day and he gave mm. me all of the things that you could possibly need. You know, he gave me a stable home, um, I went to good schools and, you know, I was a cheerleader. And so, I, you know, on the surface, I had all of these things. Um, but I also had the other piece of it that was really challenging for me. Um, and, you know, through the years and years of of experiencing, you know, this sort of prolonged trauma with my parents, I developed severe anxiety, panic attacks, I was medicated for a really long time. And when I realized that, you know, being funnier or smarter or prettier wasn't going to work. And obviously now I know like it had nothing to do with me, but, you know, at that time I thought it was my fault. You know, I was the one who was unlovable. And so when I realized that that wasn't going to fix anything, I turned to um, resentment and anger. And I started taking the wrong paths and choosing the wrong friends and partying and all the escaping and numbing and kind of rebellious things that you do when you're, um, you know, a kid and you're sad. So that's kind of the long short of that. Um, you know, yoga was the thing that really changed my life. Um, you know, for a really long time, I shoved everything down and I didn't want to deal with it. And I thought that that was the strength that, you know, me um, having this wall up or being hardened and not phased by these things. And I say that in quotations. Um, I thought that that was me being strong. And the first time I, I took a yoga class, I realized that I needed to deal with all of those things. Um, and so that's kind of what catapulted me into, you know, the the career path that I'm in now. But it took me a really long time to get there of, you know, kind of um, internally struggling for a really long time and shoving everything down and not dealing with it um, and choosing a path of numbing and escaping and hiding from those things. Wow. Those are those are uh, incredible experiences, and um, sadly, in America, not uncommon. There are lots of people who go through that kind of stuff and don't handle it the way you did. There's two ways you could have went, and you tried it at first. You tried to go to self-medicating, and uh, you patterned the behavior you grew up with, which is very common. You know, children of alcoholics can become alcoholics. It's what they know. Children of drug addicts can become drug addicts. It, it's just. It's something you see, so you you do it because you're comfortable with it or you're familiar with it at least. That's what you know. But I give you a lot of credit for finding, and, I, and I'm curious, and I think our audience would love to know, how did you find yoga? Did, who introduced you to it? And is it really, you, you said the first time you did it, uh, you, know, you knew something different about yourself. That's amazing. Um, how did you find yoga or did it find you? Yeah, and, you know, to kind of, touch on the point that you made about the different paths. I think my entire childhood, the one thing I told myself was I just didn't want to end up like my parents. You know, that was kind of like my mantra, if you will. I was like, as long as I don't end up like my parents, I'm okay. And, 
you know, there was that moment where I woke up and I looked around and I was like, if I don't make a change, I'm going to end up exactly like my parents. And I don't want that to be my reality at all. I think that when you are exposed to those types of environments and you're raised in that way, there also really isn't a ton of support in, you know, telling someone what they could be, or at Mm -hmm. least my experience was that way. You know, no one ever told me that I could be something great. You know, no one ever told me that like I could be different. I was always just my father's daughter, you know, and I was treated that way from my, you know, my family, um, not my stepdad's side of the family. They were great, but you know, my, my dad's side of the family. And, you know, even up until, you know, last couple of years, I was visiting my family. My grandpa passed away uh, a year and a half ago. And so I was there for Christmas and one of my cousins told me, you know, you should just be so happy with where you are because none of us expected you to be anything anyway. And so I think that wow. when you grow up in an environment where the odds are stacked against you, you know, no one really believes in you. And so how can you possibly believe in yourself? And, you know, I'm so grateful that I was able to advocate for myself and to be like, no, you know, I am, I am going to be great and I am going to choose a different path than what I was given. And, um, you know, yoga, like I said, has, has had such an impact on me. And, you know, when I, the first class I took ever was a hot yoga class, which I think is what most people experience, um, especially in the first responder world, you know, everyone I talk to, they're like, we do hot yoga, (laughs) you know? So, um, you know, I very much fell into that lane and I really honestly, started to become healthier physically. It was really, there wasn't really much thought behind it other than that. Um, And so, you know, I stepped into it thinking that I was going to become, you know, more physically fit. And then everything kind of started bubbling to the surface. Everything that I had neglected to deal with um, slowly started coming to the surface. And then yoga gave me the tools to be able to process those things. So um, I do, and you know, maybe I don't believe in chance. Maybe yoga did find me and this was the purpose and, you know, the path. Um, but it was a very simple, I'm just going to go take a yoga class because I want to become healthier physically. And, you know, it became so much more than that for me. It, it really became my way of healing and growing from past trauma and, um, having the, the tools and the resources to be able to process those things in a healthy way. That's amazing. Uh, because, and the reason for, I mean, amazing is, is a term we're going to use here because it is, but you see how fragile that line is of going the wrong way or going the right way. I mean, you teetered on that probably to the point of going back and forth a couple of times in your head of what direction you're going to go in. Uh, and that's normal. That's what happens with that lifestyle when you're in that. And thankfully, you just one day went, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And, you know, Dan, we've said it a thousand times on this show that things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, callings happen for a reason and faith and fate, you know, pops into to lives in the most unexpected moments sometimes in the most unexpected uh, directions. And, you know, for you to grab yoga and just say, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot because, I mean, you know, what you just explained to us, you didn't just pick it to pick it, to like have a hobby and, okay, let me just go do this. You thought of it as a exit to a, a bad life that you were involved in. You know, and had the thought process of I can get healthier, I can get mentally strong, I can get physically strong, it could lead me to somewhere else. That's powerful. You know, mm-hmm. that's not uh that's not the norm most of the times. And and you know what? Good for you, you know, for for doing that and not just taking it as all right, I'm taking a class three times a week. You you grabbed it and made it part of your life. And you just said something, Paige, that I that I want to pick up on really quickly, and it's so true. 
about experiences and traumas and negativity and negative feelings, all that stuff bounces around in your head. It doesn't process itself naturally. And it'll sit there and it'll grow, uh, it'll grow wings. It'll just fly around your head. It'll, it'll destroy you if you do not deal with it some way. And that's one of the reasons why we see a lot of members of law enforcement, sadly, going to alcoholism or drugs and taking their life and doing all these crazy reactions to the traumas in their life that they have not processed properly. And there are ways to process it properly. And yoga is one of those ways. It's very, very healing. And that's what people who are damaged need. And it is a form of damage. Traumas are a form of damage to your brain and to your psyche and and to your whole life. So for you to say that is so true. There is just so many people walking around this world who are walking wounded. And it's it's as though they have an open wound on their leg and they refuse to go get a Band-Aid. It, it's, it's part of the human experience. Um, we have to take care of our brains. And the brain and the body are all connected. So the yoga piece of it brings a lot of that together. And a lot of it is the mindfulness piece. If I'm wrong, correct me. But mindfulness is very important. Tuning out the world slowing down, listening to your breathing, just being at peace with yourself and letting your own thoughts come to you as opposed to being constantly stimulated by the world, which we are nowadays. Um, So you found some solace in yoga. And tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, Was it, you know, once a week you tried it at first? And then how did it become something where now you are the founder of First Jevity? I mean, it's, this is a stretch. I mean, you, you took it to the nth degree. Um, I guess it must have worked for you, and, and not just in getting in shape physically, but did it help you? And it's an obvious question, maybe, but with processing the traumas in your life and, and finding some peace from that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you're 100 percent right in saying that everything is connected. And I don't think that we can fault people for not wanting to deal because I do think that, you know, there, there needs to be a little bit of empathy there knowing that that's the hard work and yes, it's necessary work. Um, but it's understandable why you might be resistant to dealing with those things. Um, you know, for a long time, like I told you, I, I didn't want to deal with it and, you know, I couldn't, sit with myself for more than a few minutes without having flashbacks and going into hysteria. And so I get it. You know, I get that it's uncomfortable to sit with all of that. And I remember when I was going through my yoga teacher training, I was, I say forced, (laughs) you know, I had signed up for this teacher training, but it was one day where I felt that I was being forced to meditate. And it was in a group setting and they sat me down and they're like, okay, we're all going to sit here in silence. And when we sat there, I went into complete hysteria again and uh, ran out of the room crying. And I told my teacher, I was like, I don't want to sit with myself. I don't want to know what's in there. I'm scared of what's in there. And my teacher looked at me and he doesn't know anything about my past that, you know, up until recently, this isn't something that I was sharing with everyone. It was actually quite the contrary. I wanted everyone to think that I was um, this perfect yoga teacher, you know, and so I put on this perception that I was great um, and didn't really share the messy parts of my life with people. And so my, my teacher, he didn't know anything about me and he, but he did look at me and he said, Paige, you, you have to be able to sit with yourself it's so important to be able to sit with yourself. And if you don't like sitting with you, who else is going to like sitting with you? You know, and, and it was just like an eye-opening experience for me of like, whoa, you know, how can I expect people to care for me and have empathy for me and to like want to have this, you know, relationship with me if I don't want to have those relationships with me? You know, if I don't have empathy for me, um, if I don't have the ability to process the things and to sit with myself. And so I think that, um, you know, that's an important thing to just mention that that's the hard work. You know, the the constant stimulation, regardless of what it is, maybe it's watching TV, maybe it's on social media, you know, maybe you're numbing or escaping in different ways that 
are um, more detrimental. Maybe it's substance or, um, you know, you name it, gambling, whatever it is that you, you know, you escape and you numb. Um, Really, in reality, that's the easy way. Right? It's easy to do that. It's easy to distract and not deal with it. And for a long time, I thought that the strength was in shoving it down. You know, there's this like mentality of, you know, shove it down and you're going to be okay, or rub dirt on it and you're going to be okay. Um, and I thought that by me having that hard exterior, that was the strength. And I realized through the yoga practice that that was actually my weakness. Um, that, act, that dealing with the stuff, that's the hard work. And you're never, ever going to be able to learn from it, grow from it, and thrive because of it or in spite of it. You could look at it in either way if you don't first deal with it. And so, um, you know, I understand why people don't want to do it because it's really, really hard. It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life, you know, and and it's a, a journey and a process that I'm still working on. It's not something that, you know, you you forget about these things. These are things that are still a part of my life, but I don't have that emotional attachment or reaction to them in the same way that I did because of the work that I put in. So, um, you know, to, to answer your question about, you know, yoga and, and firstivity, I really initially, and I, I tell this story a lot because I think it's important to note that this wasn't something that I pursued initially. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to teach law enforcement yoga and that's what I want to do. Um, it really kind of happened by chance. But then going back to what we said before, I don't know if I necessarily believe in chance. You know, I think that everything does happen for a reason. And so, um, you know, I was, I was teaching for a city, um, the Phoenix Metro area. They asked me to teach a wellness event for their employees so for their city employees, there was another gentleman who was teaching a like a hit um, circuit training type session, and then I was going to be teaching yoga after as a recovery. And that gentleman ended up being a sergeant at Phoenix Regional Police Academy. He asked me then if I wanted to teach his recruit class yoga, and I said yes. And this was almost six years ago. So um, I do think that this sergeant was so ahead of his time, at least in the Arizona area, um, because back then yoga was not as well-received as it is now. It wasn't as um, in the forefront in, you know, for, for law enforcement. And so he brought me in and you know, he's like, give me your business cards. I'm going to pass them around. I'm going to introduce you to all these people because I'm leaving in two weeks. And I was like, you're leaving? <laughs> Where are you going? We just met, you know? And he said, well, I'm leaving to become a firefighter, which I guess is also very interesting because that doesn't typically happen. Um, so he left about two weeks later to become a firefighter um, and, you know, kind of got my foot in the door. And, you know, when I talked to the academy, they were like, you know, listen, this isn't like yoga is not going to be a part of our programming, but if you want to come and teach every once in a while on a volunteer basis, you're more than welcome to do so. Like we, you know, we can't, we're not going to contract you. We can't pay you, but if you want to come and volunteer your time, then we're more than happy to have you. And so that was my intro. Um, and I was like, all right, let's do it. And so through the years of teaching, I started to get to know more about, you know, the stressors and and the physical aches and pains, but also the mental and emotional aspects of it. Um, and so, you know, through my time with Phoenix Regional, I um, received my AZ post certification. Um, I did become contracted with them. And so I became more of an integrated part of their programming. And then I started um, a virtual course with them initially. And the course was called something else. It wasn't Firstivity in, in the beginning. And it was very much a test to see if it was useful, beneficial. And at first it was meant for the recruits and um, staff members to have 24-7 access to mental and physical health or, you know, resources through the yoga practice. Um, and then I started speaking with the other departments in the Phoenix Metro, expanded to work with the individual departments, expanded my course uh, to include more 
meditation and breathing and yoga and things that are very specific um, to you guys and or to law enforcement specifically. Um, And then I started working with various fire departments and it kind of just happened organically through relationships um, over the years of, you know, really just taking a chance and saying yes that first day to the sergeant who's like, do you want to teach my recruit class? And I had no idea what I was doing really. I mean, I was, had been teaching yoga for a long time, so I I knew how to teach yoga. Um, but I, I didn't have really any insight into this world until I started. And then it became really my, my passion and my life's purpose is to, you know, help as many first responders as I possibly can through the yoga practice. Well, you've got your you know work what, cut Paige, out you, for you. You need to get a work ethic. You need yeah, to get really a work, ethic, work and, ethic and figure out how to how to do a job. I mean, yeah, you know, sitting around on your ass all day to doing nothing is not going to get it done. <laughs> and I am absolutely joking. Uh, wow. I, <laughs> I mean, talk about wanting something and just 100% all in all the time and, and getting it done. Uh Again, what a credit to to your personality and your drive. So let me ask you this. What, what brought out, like as you started to do the research into law enforcement, because you don't have a law enforcement background, you don't have a first responder background, uh, but thought this might be an area you can equate into yoga and what your 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 plan is. So what in the law enforcement world during your research went, okay, that's something I can hit on and doing more and going, that's what cops go through. That's what first responders go through. And then kind of getting that into your game plan and putting that forward. So, so what did you learn that really kind of opened your eyes a little bit about what goes on in the mental world of first responders and law enforcement? I think really the driver is, has always been in I'll kind of expand on this, but really like so emotional for me. Like it's very, I've been very emotionally driven. Um, It it didn't start as logical. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to look at the stats, which I know the stats now, obviously, you know, this is my line of work. And so I know all of the numbers and the graphs and the stats and all the things, but my core motivation was really, seeing and and obviously I don't know and I never claim to know what everyone goes through on a day-to-day basis whether that's in your career or in your personal life you know I could never sit here and be like I get it I get what first responders go through because I don't um you know but I do know trauma and I do know that everyone has dealt with something really big that's impacted them on a deep level and I wish that I had more proactive tools and measures that I could have taken advantage of throughout my life. And, you know, I, in working with the police academy, they were so gracious to, to let me sit in on the training. Um, so initially that was kind of it. Like I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I sat in on scenario and chaos training and, um, was like in tears through just that, you know, I was like, they're preparing for the worst, you know, they're preparing to have people try to kill them, you know, and, and how do you, um, you know, do, how do you, um, I'm trying to, I'm losing my words, but, um, you know, how, like, how, how do you process that mentally? you know, as a human being, how do you, how do you process those things? And knowing that that was just a drill, but they're actually going out into the real world and they're, you know, they're being prepared for what's actually going to happen. And so I think that that moment, I, like I vividly remember sitting in the academy and being like, oh my gosh. And these are all people I, I've gotten to know, you know, cause I teach them and they're all for the most part, kids, they're young, you know, and they're preparing for these things. Um, and that was my moment of like, yoga saved my life. It gave me the tools. How can I give that to other people? Um, especially when you're going into 
a career path that it's not if, it's when you're going to experience trauma. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, having the proactive measures, but then how can we also, you know, have the tools after, you know, when you're trying to to heal and process and grow from those things. Um, so it, it really was not a logical thing for me at first. It was like this moment of like, there's a need and, and I, I want to be a piece of it, even if it, you know, the, even it's the tiniest piece and I can impact one person's life. Like that was my mission. And, um, you know, obviously now, you know, I know the numbers, I see the numbers for injury and cost of injury and, um, death by suicide and life expectancy after retirement. And those are all, um, things that I consider as well. And those are all things that are really important. Um, cardiovascular health, is, um, you know, and lung health are extremely important in this line of work too. And so those are things that keep me going of how can we, um, provide the tools to prevent injury, reduce the number of death by suicide, increase the number of years after retirement. Um, how can we improve cardiovascular health? Um, so, you know, I hope that answered your question. (laughs) Oh yeah. I talk a lot. No, you're you're great. We we uh, we love hearing it, and it's it's very insightful. Tom and I, as being cops, and one of the things we understood, and we were raised in the the culture of you know you don't show weakness, you do not uh, show any emotion when you're working as much as humanly possible. You have got to be stoic. You've got to be professional. You got to be clinical. And when you make a detective, you go to a crime scene or even as a cop and you have to stand over some horrific scene with some incredible tragedy and you've got to be completely professional. You've got to know what forms and processes and procedures need to get done and you've got to interview people and you have to be the calm. You're called upon to make peace out of chaos. That is your job all night long is to be a peacekeeper. And so you're constantly going from one chaotic, stressful crisis situation to another. Some of them small, some of them very big. And after a while, you, you find that you transform from a regular human being into somebody who's got a wall around them. You do, the wall does come up and it's, it's almost, it's, it's interesting how the, you put, you put your bullet resistant vest on at the beginning of your shift and you take it off at the end. And it's almost like you have armor on emotionally too, because if you don't, if you see, you see things that will really impact you if you're, if you're going to allow it to do so. So what do you do when you get home? It's the roller coaster. You get home and let's say you have small children and you just saw something happen to a child. Now you have got to go back to being dad. You got to back be a husband. You have to be sensitive, caring. You have to be present, loving. Very difficult to do that with a wall. And so a lot of cops have a hard time with that. And the wall stays up because it's easier to keep it up and they get divorced and they have all kinds of issues. And this is what you went into as an outsider and you're watching people going through. And that's just a training session where you know, they know that they're going into this moment. This, this scenario is about to happen. When you work as a regular cop, you're working 40 something hours a week, riding around or walking around. And it happens like that. You're not expecting it out of nowhere is a trauma. So that's a shock to your heart, to your system, to, you know, it, the physical piece of it is there as well. So the stresses take their physical toll. And there's lots of people Tom and I have worked with. You look at them at the beginning of their career and 10 years in, they look like they've aged 30 years. And it's for a lot of reasons, but a lot of it can be a result of their reaction to the stress and their inability or unwillingness or just simply not knowing how to deal with it. But there was a big wall forever in policing around uh, around cops, and that was their internal wall and the I am not admitting weakness. I am not. I cannot. It's not acceptable within my culture. I have got to stay strong appearing on the surface, and it's and after a while, people will crumble inside. Um, so, you know, you saw, just seeing training, you saw that, but if you had ever come in, if you had spent a night riding around uh, the worst parts of New York back in the day when we had the worst crimes going on, the highest levels of shootings and homicides, there are cops that develop ticks from from nervousness, from waiting and anticipating gunshots to go off. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff happens. Stomach issues happen. Personality changes happen. 
um, sleep patterns are destructed. Well, first of all, the way that the hours that they had us working destroyed your sleep patterns. Uh, you know, you weren't getting REM sleep on a regular basis. And so I know I fought the stress in my career by a couple of ways. First is I exercised regularly my entire career. I always made sure I was running, lifting, doing calisthenics, stuff like that on a regular basis. And it really did help a lot. But I didn't have much of the mindfulness piece and never did yoga, didn't know anything about it. Um, and one of the more common ways to deal with it is to drink. You know, the whole, they used to call it New York City Police Department. You would do a four at night to 12 midnight and you'd drink till the bars closed at four. So it was a four to four. And that was common. That's how they dealt. And that is just fanning the fire of your, of your stresses and your traumas. But um, so you see all this. And you recognize as a need. Did you recognize any of um, the traumas that you had experienced? Did you see any of the behavioral traits or characteristics in the cops that you were helping with your yoga? Uh, because trauma is trauma. It really is. Um, and it's in the eyes of the beholder, right? Not everybody's impacted the same by the same experience, although we are all human. So I'm just curious. Did you see some of what you saw in yourself in cops who you were helping? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, it kind of goes back to that armor. You know, like I can relate to that 100%, you know, not wanting to show weakness, even though now my view of vulnerability is strength. It's not weakness, you know, being able to be vulnerable. And, and, and I'm not talking about on the job. I understand that there are things that, you know, you have to do when you're on the job of, um, you know, being strong and calm and all those things. Um, but the armor for sure. Um, the, for me, the, um, unwillingness to change or to want to do these things. Um, you know, I can, I can relate to that a hundred percent. So like, I get it when we're talking about yoga and cops doing yoga there's a little bit of resistance sometimes, and I don't necessarily know if it's exactly yoga, but I, I think it's health and wellness in general. Sometimes there's that resistance because you don't want to show, like just like you said, you don't want to show weakness. You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to process it. Um, but if you can shift your pers perception and know that vulnerability is strength and dealing with things is strength and, you know, and, and also just knowing that these things are going to impact not just your career, but your, your life and your relationships. And so, um, you know, I can definitely relate to all of those things. And I think, you know, kind of talking about what you were saying about, um, heightened stress, prolonged stress, I think it's important to understand what is happening in the body when that happens. And one of my goals with yoga is to share knowledge and educate so that it, it becomes more well-received and it's not so foreign. It's not like, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about yoga, it's like yoga's woo-woo or hippy dippy or like whatever it is. And, um, you know, there's all these buzzwords, um, to prevent saying the word yoga, which for me, I don't care what you call it. You know, you can call it tactical breathing and mindful movement if you want to, it's still <laughs> yoga, you know? So, uh, but I think it's That's important funny. to understand you, you, that you put the word tactical on it. Cops will be okay with it. Right. You know, make know, it sound right? tough yeah. no and it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then it's it's fine. Yeah, and, yoga it's sounds like a I've dessert option. Meetings, you know, <laughs> I've been in meetings where I literally have walked in and they're like, "We don't use the word yoga here," and I'm like, "Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not attached to the word yoga. If if I can get you to do yoga, but you want to call it something else, like fine, that's fine. Um, but you know, I think it's important to understand that at its core, yoga is a breathing practice, and the breath is the connector, and so whether you're doing the physical part of it, whether you're doing breathing techniques or meditation, the breath is really the, the key element to the yoga practice. And you can practice that anywhere. And the idea is that it's regulating your nervous system. So 
when you are constantly stressed, high levels of stress, chronic stress, your cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone goes up, your adrenaline goes up and you have that like fight or flight response, right? And I think that when a lot of people talk about fight or flight, it's a negative, it has like a negative connotation to it, but really fight or flight is good. You know, it's your body's natural response to a threat. And so when there's a threat, it's good to have a fight or flight response to it, right? To have that adrenaline, to, you know, be super aware and and to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to fight the threat? Um, Are you going to run away from the threat? Um, Or we now understand that there's a third, which is freeze. So it's fight, flight, or freeze. Um, And so when there's a threat, it's really positive. The issue lies in what you were just saying when you're always anticipating. You always have this heightened anxiety and stress. You know, you go home and you still have this going on. Um, that has a negative impact on your overall health long-term. And so you were talking about aging, um, digestion issues, um, depression, anxiety, adrenal fatigue. There are all these things that happen within the body when you can't regulate your nervous system. And so breathing techniques you know, whether you're doing them alone, you're doing them in a, a meditation, or you're doing them with the physical part of the yoga practice, that's kind of the key because we want to regulate the nervous system. So when you aren't experiencing a threat, you're able to be in this rest and digest state. And then when you there is a threat, you know, you have that natural reaction to it. So that's like kind of the healthy state of being. And, and I think that, you know, when you can think about it like that, it, it kind of makes it, I think, less daunting. It's like, okay, like, you know, we just need to like regulate the breath. And and you think about it too, when you're stressed, what happens? You know, your breath shortens. And what happens when your breath is short, usually the mind is also um, busy or there's something happening, right? Like the uh, panic of the mind and the breath are kind of connected. And so the breath also helps with mental clarity, uh, mental resilience, focus, concentration. Um, so I always like to tell people to like start really easy when it comes to yoga. Like let's just focus on something that you can understand and let's try to regulate the nervous system because then everything also kind of fall into place from there. Um, but that's something that you can apply immediately to your life or to, you know, the stresses of your job. So the breathing is so important. You, know what? you brought that up. Go ahead, Tom. No, no, no. I was no. just going to gonna say that. Exactly that. Yeah, the br- breathing is so important. When you are stressed out, you do do the very shallow uh, shortness of breath type stuff, and you're not getting enough oxygen in. It's not, uh, your blood is not oxygenated. It's not hitting everywhere it needs to hit in your body, including your brain, especially your brain. And so signals get shorted, and things start not working like they should. And you can't think clearly, and and stress will do that to you all the time. So reminding yourself to breathe, and there's different ways to breathe. And I've been told that the best way for stress reduction is deep diaphragmatic breathing, as opposed to big, heavy chest breathing. You have to focus on the stomach. Um, was I led down the wrong path, or is that something that makes sense in this world? No, that makes sense. And like you said, there are lots of different breathing techniques that you can do. The idea is expanding or extending the breath. Mm -hmm. And the really interesting part, and you kind of touched on it, is when you breathe less, you're exactly correct. More oxygen reaches your muscles. And so it also has an impact on you physically. Your muscles recover quicker. Um, Mm -hmm. It has an impact on your cardiovascular health because what is your heart? It's a muscle. It's a muscle. And so it has all of these other impacts too. Um, But yes, the idea is breathing less or expanding, extending the breath. Um, So there are the deep belly breathing is one of them. Um, You know, box breathing. I'm sure you've heard of box breathing uh, or breath retention is another one of them. Um, That's really useful. So really anytime you can be mindful enough to slow down the breath and really you, you want to try to make the breath even as much as you can. That's kind of a trick too. Um, So even breathing deeper breathing, but not something that's like really dramatic. You know, you want something to be super calming. 
And you know what? It, it's amazing when you when you mentioned it before, how much and 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 Dan and I can attest to this. How many people don't know their own bodies and don't know what's going on or what a limit is or or what's wrong, you know, in any given situation, uh, you know, and you educating them on how to read your body is going to be nothing but a positive. And then take that into, you know, what you're teaching them with yoga. And we'll say yoga on this show, damn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh you know, what you're teaching them as far as understanding what their bodies are going through and how to combat that is amazing. I mean, you know, listen, I'm going to be honest. I, I, you know, Dan and I talked about this. We haven't heard about this, you know, uh, and it's fascinating. I mean, I'm sitting here. Listen, this is we've said it before. We have a great show when Dan and I say about three things, <laughs> you know, and and our guests just talk. And, and we're, I'm fascinated by how you just created this into assisting first responders and, and law enforcement. It's it's really so impressive, Paige. And I'm not just saying it because you're in front of us, you know, on our show. It is a crazy, impressive program and uh, outreach that you do. It really is. And it's going to do nothing but help, nothing but yep. help and assist, you know, yep. uh, cops on the street that are going through things. I mean, it, it really is impressive. There's Thank so you. much I appreciate Trump. that. You know, it's, I really do. I think it's a, a testament though, to the people that have believed in me and who are innovators in their, you know, perspective departments, you know, it, if it weren't for them being innovative and forward thinking and wanting to support their employees, health and wellness, um, then I wouldn't be where I am, you know? So you know, I appreciate you singing my graces, but I also want <laughs> to make note that, um, you know, I'm, I've been successful in, you know, in building this program because of the relationships I built over time. And because of those leaders who see the need to, to build a health and wellness program and to support their employees, not just this generation, but future generations, you know, and to, and to prioritize, you know, not just physical health, but also mental and emotional well-being. So, um, I kind of want to do a little shout out to, you know, everyone who's believed in me along the way, because, you know, I wouldn't be here if it, if it weren't for them, um, you know, taking a chance on me, but also, you know, prioritizing their employees. Well, that's, that's very humble of you to do, but, uh, Tom and I both know a couple of things first, and we were in a huge organization, the biggest, just because the brass, just because headquarters and city hall decides they want to roll a program up doesn't mean it's going to be accepted by the rank and file, period. And the rank and file will decide whether or not they want to pay attention. And that's how cops are. And they can be a tough room to walk into. And they can be a tough room to walk into as a fellow cop if you're saying something they don't 100% want to jump on. But as an outsider who's coming in and telling them, okay, we're going to do yoga today. I can just imagine some of the cops I work with, the looks on their faces, if you had come in and said that 30 years ago, they would have been like, get out of here. But it's all a matter of having it become accepted when one or two people see the benefits of it and they tell everybody, hey, it's not nonsense. But that's on you. When you walk in the room, it's on you, Paige, to sell it. It's on you to get them to understand that you're sincere. And it's on you to be as upfront as you've been about your own life and let them know, hey, you may not want to admit it, but when you go home and look in the mirror, you know you're damaged because this job messes everybody up. I was damaged in my life. Let's all talk about how we heal. You got one life. There's no dress rehearsals. Let's talk about, let's get smart about it now. I think what you're doing should be in each and every two things, every training academy in the country so that immediately from your first days in any law enforcement training academy, you're aware of this. You're aware of it. You're aware of its value, and it's stressed, and it's taught to you, not just uh, look into yoga. No, no, no. We're going to teach you how to do this. It's a priority. It's that important. The second thing is during in-service training. You're on a year, five years, 10 years. You got to go for your full day of in-service, whatever. Do it again. Keep reminding people how important it is because when you retire, it should be part of your lifestyle to take care of yourself. So as somebody who has gone into rooms both during my police career and after my police career, uh, to talk, teach, instruct uh, groups of cops, I can tell you that a couple of things are very common. One, they all sit in the back. 
Nobody sits up front. How many times have you seen that? <laughs> rookies in the rookies in the academy will sit up front because they're told, sit there. You want the job. But if you get a group of mm-hmm. cops that have anywhere more than a year or two on and they all think that they've been around and seen and done everything, they're going to sit in the back of the classroom. And that's because they want to be able to get out quickly and maybe disappear if they can. That's the cop attitude towards training. We always view it as, ah, what I got to sit in this training session. And I hope that that culture changes. And I hope that what you're doing is ushering in um, an awareness of the resources that are out there because nobody can doubt the problem. We used to have posters in the NYPD in our locker room that said every year we kill ourselves more than anybody else, which is true. There are more cop suicides in NYPD every year than there are line of duty homicides of cops. And that is a staggering reality. And it's one that I think it kind of hit me when I was on the job, but we didn't have resources and tools that we could trust, that we could rely on. We relied, we, we defaulted back to what was the common thing among the culture, which is just suck it up, deal with it, go home, figure it out, have a drink, whatever. Go down and hit the heavy bag in the gym, but, but deal with it. And that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm old enough to know now. I've been around the block. It does not work. What you're doing works. So thank you for what you're doing because I, you know, you hate to be a predictor of things and I don't have a crystal ball, but I can guarantee you there are lives that will be saved because of first jeopardy and your efforts. There will be cops who will find ways to deal with their stress and it will minimize suicide, self-harm, alcoholism, divorce, all of it. So thank you for that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Like you're going to make me emotional. <laughs> no, well, that's okay. Um, I appreciate that. You know, I, I do, okay. I, I do think, and I don't know if you guys feel this in the same way that I do, but I, I feel like there's momentum building in the right direction when it comes to health and wellness. And I know every department is different. Every state is different, um, with, you know, how far along they are and the receptiveness to these things. But from what I see, there is a real push that's being made to change the culture and to create an environment that is more health forward. And, um, you know, we'll see this kind of shift happen, um, where, you know, like you said, the, the current generation, has never had those resources. It was the rub dirt on it and you'll be okay type of mentality. And so, you know, kind of going back to what I said before, like having these innovators who are forward thinking and saying, okay, like enough is enough. You know, like I had actually had a meeting the other day and someone told me this. Um, they're like, there's two things that cops don't like. Have you heard this? No, go ahead. Um, (laughs) change in the way things are. Yeah. <laughs> um, is what they told me. And, oh, yeah. you know, it, and it's kind of, but it, yeah. it's, you know, it takes, we all have to band together. And I think sometimes, you know, each department or each city or each state, it feels really isolated. And, you know, if we band together and say, okay, we see the numbers, we see the issue, we know that this isn't working and we have to build robust wellness programs within every single department, um, within every single academy, right? Um, then we'll see this, this shift happen where now future generations, like you said, if they have resources and they're exposed to these things in academy, then when they go to their prospective departments, um, then they're already receptive to those and they're going to continue that habit. Um, And then those individuals will be put into leadership positions where they're then going to continue to prioritize health and wellness. And so, you know, it takes us working together to build that momentum and to build that, that shift in culture. But I think it is happening right now. There's so many people like yourselves and just so many amazing people I've met along the way who really are pushing and advocating for this. And it's not just yoga. You know, there's, there's so many other pieces that are involved. There's peer support and therapy and, um, you know, physical therapy and all these. And I like, I always like to say this, but I think of them as like little puzzle pieces and they all fit together to create 
what that full picture of wellness is. And, um, you know, I think that that's happening now. And so the future is exciting because as long as we continue that momentum and continue to prioritize and know that these things take time, that's the other thing. It's like, change takes time. And so, you know, so often I see like programs implemented and then like after a year they're like, okay, well, we're going to move on to something else. And it's like, you have to build these things and this awareness and this culture and it, and it takes time. But I think that, you know, the next five years, I want to say five years, I'm going to be really optimistic that in the next five years, you know, these will be things that are, you know, implemented into every single department or agency nationwide, which excites me. And that, that kind of keeps me going. And, you know, but I think that, you know, it's just all of us continuing to, to share the message, you know, and spread the word. (laughs) Yep. And you know what, uh, before I get to my, uh, a question for you, uh, I think you're getting in at the perfect time. I think you're breaking through this at the perfect time because there is so much more awareness out there and uh, and people realizing that mental health and first responders and law enforcement is a real thing and it's a and it's a thing that has to be addressed and supported and the awareness has to be out there. So I think you are breaking through at the perfect time. And I think you're right. You're, you're, it's just going to it's going to keep going up and going up. And uh, that kind of leads to my question. So where are you at right now? How many states? How many departments? Uh, what's your dream? Kind of what what's your goal? Like you have a dream. We all do. Uh, this is where I want to be. You just said the five year plan. That's great. You know, do you have do you have that dream department? Like I want them. I want this in that department. Do you have that? You know, I I want to be everywhere um, because I want to help as many people as I possibly can. And I wouldn't say I have a dream department. I do think that, you know, when you think of different states, you always think of the big cities, right? And so obviously you want to be with every big city, but I also think that sometimes the smaller cities are forgotten about a little bit, you know, and they're just as important as the bigger cities and the, you know, bigger agencies. And so I want to be everywhere um, because I want to help as many people as I possibly can. So I couldn't say that like, this is the one place that I want to be. Um, I've been really fortunate in the Arizona area, you know, I'm with Phoenix and Tucson and a handful of the surrounding cities. And, um, you know, I'm in California and Oregon and Washington and, you know, I'm, I'm expanding um, kind of, I've kind of focused on the West part of the country only because that's kind of where I am and I am a single business owner. It's just me doing all of this. So, um, you know, but I want to work with everybody, you know, everyone who sees benefit and is open to building a relationship with me and, you know, and, and that being, and I always say this, like I, everything that I've done up until this point you know, and you said that I'm coming in at the perfect time, but I've been here for six years, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I've built relationships over time. And for me, the most important thing is building quality, long-term relationships. I want people to know me. I want them to feel like they can call me or email me and, you know, we're working together. You know, I'm not a big corporation. I'm not someone where you're just going to, you know, talk to me and I'm going to sell you something and then you're never going to hear from me again, you know? And so for me, I want to work with everyone who wants to build that, that long-term relationship and, um, you know, who's, who's ready to kind of go there, you know, together. So, um, I hope that answers your question. I don't have like a a specific, you know, department, but, you know, I would love to work with as many people as I possibly can. That's great. That's great. And I know that Tom and I are absolutely going to make sure that we tell everybody we know about who you are and what you do. And we will constantly do that because we we believe in what you're doing. And we, we know that what you're doing is going to yield some tremendous results. And you're right to say, you know, small departments can be neglected. They don't always have the resources 
but they have the same problems. Cops are cops. Cops deal with cop stuff everywhere in this country. All you have to do is go to the annual police national law enforcement officers memorial uh, and look at the locations of where cops are killed in this country. And most of them are smaller municipalities, small towns. Um, so police work is dangerous everywhere. It's traumatic everywhere. It doesn't matter the size of the department or the crime stats. Stuff happens everywhere. So they all need some support. And uh, we hope you take off uh, coast to coast. And if we can be a part of that, we want to be a part of it. And um, we think that this is, is is just an amazing program you're doing. And we're so happy we had you on the show and we had an opportunity to hear more of it. We hope our audiences, you know, send us emails, send us questions. And, and Paige, please let everybody know about how they can get in touch with you, um, what resources you have that you can share with them, uh, your website, whatever else, please, because I want people to know that if they reach out to you, they're going to get what we just got, which is incredible, incredible information and help. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, as far as reaching out to me, you can always email me, page at firstjevity.com. Um, LinkedIn, I'm super active on LinkedIn. So you can always find me there, connect with me there. Mm-hmm. Um, my website, firstjevity.com. Um, you know, what I do right now and, and what First Jevity is, is a purely on-demand virtual course. So, you know, it really lends itself to the entire department, regardless of shift 24 seven access for every single employee that you have. So, um, if that's something that Mm -hmm. you think would be beneficial or useful, um, you know, I have resources that I can send that, you know, give you sample classes and kind of more information on like the nitty gritty details of, of the, of the course itself. But yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to even just make a connection even if it's just you messaging me on LinkedIn and saying, hi, I always really appreciate that. Um, you know, or if I'm out and about, you know, I do keynote speaking for, um, conferences and things like that. So I always like to just even meet you (laughs) and (laughs) shake your hand or, you know, say a friendly hello, but, um, you know, page at firstjevity.com or LinkedIn are usually the best ways to contact me. Wow. Uh, you know what? We've said it on other shows, Paige. Uh, when we do a show and we're doing an interview, and all of a sudden I kind of glance down at the time and it's already at an hour, and I feel <laughs> like we've been here for about 10 minutes, you nailed it. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, when, when we have shows like this, it's impressive, uh, and you did one hell of a job. And like Dan said, we are all about awareness assisting uh especially someone like you uh fighting from where you came from to where you are now and having so much heart and dedication into helping uh law enforcement and first responders uh that's not out there a lot these days you know so when someone like you rises up to that we're gonna grab hold on it and and do everything we can to get this out there uh because you know, Dan and I both think it's so important and so uh, great what you're doing. And thank you so, so much for being on the show and explaining this in such detail and so well, you know, your upbringing and where it led to and, and what, you know, Firstgevity offers. Uh, you did one hell of a job today and you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that very much. It's so nice to talk to you too. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to have to let us know. Keep in touch. You're going to have to let us know where you're speaking and and events like that so we can put it on our website and tell our audience about it because we want people to get a chance to experience what we did today, which is to hear you speak at length about your area of expertise and passion. And uh, we it's one that we we share the passion. We have zero expertise in anything. That's why we do a podcast. Um, (laughs) It's meant to be a joke, self-deprecating. But Thank you again, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) we hope to meet you soon in person one day, and uh, I know our audience appreciates this show very much. So uh, with that, maybe I'll let Tom take you out, take us out. Yep. Thank you. So, so, you know, once again, uh, we are great and and (laughs) just privileged to have guests like Paige on and uh, have someone in such a role of supporting law enforcement. We want to just thank her for that. 
and a great, great show today. And like we always do, uh, send a prayer to our law enforcement brothers and sisters out there in blue, our first responders, our military, because as this show just showed, there's a whole nother aspect to the job. It's not just putting a uniform on and going on the street for eight or 10 or 12 hours and going home. There's a whole nother aspect to it of the mental uh, problems that go on in law enforcement and, and first responders, and it has to be addressed. And when you have someone like, like Paige Arnone and First Jevity that's on our side, it might make our job a little easier, uh, make it a lot easier for a lot of people out there. So keep praying for everyone out there who is out there protecting you and your family and not asking for anything in return. So always have them in your prayers. And once again, uh, Paige Arnone, amazing, amazing uh, guest and show we just had. And for my partner, Dan Murphy, this is Tom Smith reminding everyone that all of Paige's information is going to be on our future posts about the show that are coming out, her email, her website, and everything about her. So make sure you have any questions about it, reach out to her and our website, thegoldshieldshow.com. For again, for Paige, for Danny and myself, Tom Smith, everyone out there, please stay safe. And thanks again for tuning in to Gold Shields.